0: I'm actually a last-minute fill-in, so I hope you're not disappointed, but uh, I said yes at the last minute, and it's good to be here. You know, I was as I was walking uh, towards this building, I had a flash of just a lot of memories, because in 2008, actually, um, I was here to help launch New Life Lincoln Park, and was actually a here for three years when we were just getting started. And so I had a lot of great memories coming through my mind and seeing what uh, this, uh, going back quite a few years. And so great to have you with with us this morning. Um, as Dave mentioned, we are doing a series called One Church. And uh, we have uh, pastors rotating, moving one from one place to another. Pastor Bobby's actually at New Life Midway this morning, talked to him on the phone, and um, it's a privilege to be able to do that. There, We have 43 worship uh, services on Sunday. About nine or ten of them are in Spanish. One is in Mandarin. Uh, the rest, more or less, in English. And... Um, So it's an exciting place to be a part of. I'm going to ask that you stand uh, briefly with me. We're going to invite the Lord to just speak to our hearts today. And so would you just welcome the presence of God? Father, we invite you today. We thank you that you are here, that your Holy Spirit is present in this place. God, we come to you this morning and different stages and places, with different struggles, with different needs. I thank you, God, that you know exactly what our needs are. I thank you that we are not anonymous. I thank you that you know our soul, our heart, our thoughts. And I thank you, Father, that you are all sufficient to meet our needs right where we're at, right now, right today. And so I invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak We pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be sensitive to receive the word that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, sometimes we have the tendency, or I've had the tendency to try to do everything, and to try to be everything. Uh, I remember on my uh, honeymoon, I had uh, just planted a church in the southwest side of Chicago. It was poor. It was small. It couldn't really afford to pay me much. I was 21 years old. And, um, but I was excited to go on my honeymoon. And so I saved enough money up to buy tickets to go to Spain... I grew up in Spain. My father left his car there. I could get to Spain, but I didn't have enough money to get hotels in Spain. So I told my dad, hey, could you leave a tent in the trunk? And um, I told my bride-to-be, I said, you know what? We could stay wherever you want to stay. Now, she didn't know it was going to be in a tent wherever we wanted to stay. And so I got in the car, and we started driving up the coast of Spain, and if she liked the place and say, let's set up a tent there, I told you, wherever you want to stay, we can stay, and so I spent my tent, our honeymoon in a tent, and my wife was so impressed with my Spanish because I grew up in Spain, lived in Spain till I was 17, and so she was like, wow, you speak Spanish so well, you can get around, I said, yeah, baby, I got this down, we went into France, and we're driving through France, and you know, I had worked at a hotel in France for a couple of summers, uh, washing dishes and cleaning rooms at a hotel in a beach resort in France. And so je parle un petit français aussi, je en... So she was really impressed with my friends. I like, wow, you really speak French good? Wow, sounds so good. Yeah, babe, I got this down, don't worry. You know, I and so she really was was building it up like you know how to navigate this. And then we went into Italy. And she said, so you know Italian as well? I said, you know, sort of. You know, Italian's kind of like Spanish, just with a little different intonation. And so we get into Italy, and and, um, I'm greeting people, speaking in Spanish, but with an Italian flow to it. Like, como la cosa por aquí, donde está el sitio, si, el tiempo es muy bueno. And and she said, wow, you speak Italian. Well, I said, yeah, sort of, I speak Italian pretty good. And um, we were trying to find a camping spot, and so I stopped at a toll place. And she looked at me and she said, you know how to ask him? I said, yeah. Donde esta el camping mas cerca por aquí? She said, wow, you speak Italian. And he went off telling me where the next camping place was. You know, Italians use their hands. She, and, and he ended up with Ushita. She said, what did he say? I said, well, he... He said that the next camping place is in a town called Ushita. So we started driving, driving. I kept seeing signs that said Yushita, Yushita, half hour into it. It's 1.30 in the morning. And then it dawns on me, Ushita means exit. We had our first fight that night as I set up the tent at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, because... I was trying to act like I could be everything and do everything, when in reality, I was limited. You know, the church is a little bit like that, the church of the living God. Uh, We call it church. A lot of people have some different ideas about what the church is. Uh, Some of you said, we're going to church this morning, which means that you're going to a building in which a service is held. And I get it. And you say, well, we're worshiping in a church. Yeah, but that's a really limited understanding of what the church is. We are in a church building, but we are the church. When service dismisses later on, the church scatters, goes to Starbucks, goes to eat at the closest place, Portillo's, grabs uh, a bite to eat. On Monday morning, the church scatters. uh, Some work remotely, some people go into offices. The church scatters throughout the city, and then the church gathers in small groups, and the church gathers on Sunday, but we, we are the church. You are the church. I am the church that happens to meet in a building, but we are the church. And Jesus really established the church as his vehicle for transformation of the world. And sometimes I wonder, Jesus, couldn't couldn't you have selected something a little bit better to change the world? I mean, we're dysfunctional. We have our issues. Uh, sometimes it seems like we're frail and divided, and, and it feels like this is not a great tool to change the world. But this is God's tool to transform the world. In fact, Matthew chapter 16 says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the thing that we call a church, meeting in Buildings like this with stained glass windows. I've been in Africa where people are barefoot and meet in little huts. I've been in Europe where there's great cathedrals. I've met in barns in Osorno, Chile. And it's all the church. And Jesus says it's such a powerful, compelling force that not even the gates of hell will prevail against this thing called the church of the living God. In... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of believers, and he's trying to help them get their mind around what it means to be a part of the church. Now, they're in a city called Corinth. Corinth is, um, well, it's a port city known for prostitution, partying, sailors come in and out. I mean, if you wanted to call someone a party animal you would say, you're a Corinthian, because they were just known for drunkenness and crazy lifestyles and party people, and so they were known that way. So so this church is in the middle of a party town. There's a lot of craziness going on. I mean, they have to deal with a lot of issues. People are getting drunk at communion. Some guy's sleeping with his step. Uh, stepmother. I mean, you thought there was issues. Well, Corinth had a lot of issues. There was division in the church. There was uh, uh, people were saying, "I'm this guy. I'm a part of that guy." There was immorality. There was misuse of gifts, and so the Apostle Paul is trying to bring some order to the chaos that existed in a city where a lot of people were new believers but didn't really understand how the church should function. And so he begins to talk to them and. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's talking to them about the part that each one of them play in this thing we call the church. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, the part that you play in this thing that we call the church. And he begins talking to them in verse 1 of chapter 12, and he says, Now about spiritual gifts, or gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters... I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one who says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. I'm going to give you three principles to discover your part in this thing that we call the church. Principle number 1, the lordship principle. The lordship principle. All legitimate spiritual gifts will point to the lordship of Jesus. Now you say, "Well, Pastor Mark, I don't need what is a spiritual gift?" Glad you asked. Let me define that for a moment. A spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to each believer to use for the common good of others. It comes from the word charisma. Uh, We, when someone has an attractive personality that people are drawn to, we say, well, that person has a charismatic personality. When we want to describe a church's theological bent, we use, oh, that's a charismatic church. But the word the word charismatic comes from the root word charisma, and charisma comes from charis, and charis means grace. So when we say the gifts of the Spirit, we're talking about the grace of the Spirit. It is a supernatural ability given to you by God, not that you've earned merit, deserved, not that you've applied for. It's given to you by God to be used for the common good of others. It's different than a natural talent. You're born with a natural talent. Some of you are extremely good at certain things. Some of you are like mathematical whizzes. And you just—it just comes natural to you. Um, Some have just some natural abilities that you've always had since you were born, since you you were small, innately built into your character, your personality. That's not a spiritual gift. That may be a talent. You can use it. God can use it, but it's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is given to you at the moment of your new birth in Christ, and it is a—it is a. If I was talking to teenagers that read a lot of comic books, I would say it's your superpower. Um, I'm not going to get into the Marvel or the other debate, but it's your superpower given to you by God to be used for the common good of the edification of other people. You say, well, who has spiritual gifts? Everybody that's born again. You say, well, what does it mean to be born again? to be born again you were we call it being born again because you were born first of all naturally physically in the flesh but there comes a moment in time in which if you are to be a part of God's family where you have to surrender your will your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ acknowledge that he is the only one that has a way to God That he is all God, became all man, died on a cross, the sufficient one to pay for your price that you could never pay. And when you surrender your will to God, you invite the Holy Spirit inside of you to transform you from the inside out. And the Bible calls that being born again or your new birth or new creation in God. Nod Nod at me if you're tracking with me. Okay. Some of you are. Few of you are. So... The Apostle Paul says, you're a part of this thing called the church. And you have spiritual gifts. And he, he's very clear with them. He says, about the spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. The word there is ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. I want you to understand what they are. Because I want you to be able to use your spiritual gifts for the common good. Verse 2, he says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. He says, a lot of you here were pagans. And and I don't know this crowd. I don't know how many. if you've been a believer for a long time, or maybe you're just fresh off the streets and like, yeah, I don't even know why I'm here, but I'm... Like hoping to find my spiritual journey, or maybe some of you um, are—you know—gave your life to Christ three months ago and you're still trying to figure this out. But a pagan basically was someone that wasn't a Christian. A pagan, and they would use the word pagan to describe people that were not Christ followers. And he says to them, "Some of you before you were pagans. You you were hedonistic. You followed pleasure. You worshipped idols." By the way, in the Roman culture, which was the dominant culture of the day, uh, the Roman Empire ruled the world for about 800 years, and Paul was writing to these believers in the midst of a dominant Roman culture. The Romans had multiple gods. They had a god for everything, the god of fertility and the god of war and the god of love and the god of vengeance and so they had hundreds of gods that they would follow, and each god had an image, an idol that they would give veneration to, and so the Romans were known for their gods. If you, if you uh, ever visit Rome, you will realize that there's statues to all kinds of gods that were there. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, some of you have followed these mute idols in the past. Now, he, he says this. You were influenced and led astray by new idols. In other words, you were, these were just stone or wood, but there was a spiritual influence behind them that was leading you astray from the living God. And then he goes on and says, um, he says, therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Here's what what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is saying that you've been given a spiritual gift, every one of you, different kinds of gifts. All of those gifts point to the centrality and the lordship of Jesus the Christ. If a gift points to you, you're misusing it. If a gift leads you away from the centrality of Jesus, you're misusing it. Hey, I want to be up front. I'm not sure where everybody, what everybody believes in here or where you're at in your faith journey. But if you're going to be a, someone that actually follows the Bible, what the Bible teaches, the Bible is very clear about this. There's no ambiguity about it. Jesus the Christ has always existed in the form of God. He is equal to the Father, one with the Father. Uh, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, Jesus has had a preeminent place, always with God, um, never apart from God. You hear God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is, is referred to in the Bible. And some people get confused. They say, well, I don't know. Should I pray to God? Should I pray to Jesus? Should I pray to the Holy Spirit? No, you pray to God the Father, You have access to God the Father through Jesus the Son, who's the mediator, who gives you access to him, and you know how to pray through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowers you to pray. One God, triune God, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you are born again and following what the Bible has to say, you have to believe in the deity of Christ. If you are here today and do not believe in the deity of Christ, you may be a sympathizer with Christianity, but you're not a Christian. There is no way around embracing biblical Christianity without embracing that Jesus was all God, equal to the Father, triune God, in the Father. And so he basically says, all the spiritual gifts point to the Lordship of Jesus, Uh, the Holy Spirit is there to magnify Jesus. He points to the cross of Jesus. He points to the way of Jesus. He points to Jesus as the way to the Father, the only way. And most most heresies, most Christian aberrations, and there's a lot of Christian groups out there, and there's a lot of uh, people that hang the label of Christian on their churches, their groups, but. Most of the heresy that exists out there exists around the person and the deity of Christ. And so what the Apostle Paul is being clear about is, hey, whatever gift you have, it's good, but no gift that you have is ever going to take away from the centrality of Jesus the Christ. Number two, write this down. It's the unity principle. The unity principle. The Apostle Paul then goes on and he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. So the unity principle is this. All legitimate spiritual gifts look different, but are empowered by the same Spirit. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, But all of them, and in everyone, is the same God at work. Notice, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father there. What is the Apostle Paul saying? The Apostle Paul is telling us that not only do our spiritual gifts point to Jesus, and by the way, we call that gospel-saturated preaching, The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament points to Jesus. There's not a different God. It all points to Jesus. It culminates in Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we emphasize Jesus, point to Jesus. He's the mediator between God and man. There is no other way to the Father but by Him. And so it it, it is paramount to our Christianity. But he says... It's the unity principle as well. There are different kinds of gifts. Some of you have the gift of encouragement, and then some of you have the gift of exhortation. Exhortation is calling people out to live in line with the word, and an encouragement is someone that's helping people understand their potential and they call them out. Some people have the gift of mercy. Which means that they, as soon as they see someone hurting, they immediately zone in on them. and just they have an empathy and a compassion. Some people have the gift of discernment. They're able to kind of read through the fog of things and discern. Some people have the gift of teaching, the gift of knowledge. There's some more sort of gifts that are a little bit more supernatural, like the gift of healing that the Bible talks about. There there are multiple gifts. Some people have the gift of administration, which is much more uh, just organizing things. And so people have different gifts. Some people have the gift of faith. Now, we all should have mercy, but some people have the gift of mercy. We all should have faith, but some people have the gift of faith. Uh, We all should encourage and exhort, but some people have the gift. Now, what happens is oftentimes, if we don't understand that everybody has a different gift, but we function together in one body, is that sometimes you think if people don't have your gift that they're off. It's called gift projection. If you have the gift of mercy, you just want to go in and hug them and how you doing? And let's talk. And I'm so sad, I'm so, so, so sorry you're feeling that way. And we want to walk beside you. And if someone has the gift of teaching, they, they want to teach correct doctrine and get people straight. And the gift of mercy says, don't talk to them about that. And the teacher says, why, why are you hugging them? They, they're off track in what they believe. And so sometimes there's this competition. But what we don't understand is that the body, we the church, we are strongest when we are all functioning in our gifts. The old mentality of the Old Testament was that there was a priest and people would come to listen to the priest and the priest was, quote unquote, the mediator between the people and God. The priest would offer sacrifice. The, people, the priest would speak to the people on behalf of God. The priest was the in-between between sinful people and a holy God. In the New Testament, Jesus introduced a different paradigm. He introduced what, people, what, what the Bible calls the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers means this. And some of you were raised in a tradition where you believe that there's a man or woman of God and that you just come on Sunday and you sit and you listen, you hear, you take some notes, you say some prayers, and then you go out, but it's sort of the man of God or the woman of God, the rabbi in some holy vestments that does all the religious stuff and your job is to listen, support, and pray, and hopefully if you have a problem, come and confess it to them. That is not New Testament Christianity. And some of you need to get rid of the old paradigm and embrace a new paradigm. The new paradigm is every single person that has the Holy Spirit. You don't, can I tell you something? You do not need a pastor to get to God. You have direct access through Jesus. You can read the Bible on your own, you can pray on your own, you have spiritual gifts. You can minister to people. Listen, I don't want anybody to line up and have to confess all your sins to me. To be honest with you, I don't really want to hear your sins. Um, I I just, you know, I mean, I think the Bible says confess your sins to one another, but I don't necessarily want to hear all your sins. I got my own sins I'm dealing with before the Father, Jesus the Son. um, And so I am not, I am not the priest, the rabbi, The mediator, there's one, his name is Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, who you have direct access to, direct access to him. He is the one that forgives you, not me. He is the one that empowers you, not the in-between. You have the priesthood of all believers. What does that mean? That means that all of us should know the word. All of us should be prepared to minister. What does that mean? That means that when you come on a Sunday morning, you don't come saying, I hope to get something out of what the pastor has to say. You may come a little bit with that mentality, but you also come saying, I hope I can minister to someone. Because I'm not just a consumer, I'm a contributor, I have my gifts. And it may not be the gift of teaching, but it's the gift of mercy, exhortation, encouragement, evangelism, faith, healing, discernment, uh, word of knowledge, whatever it may be. But you come with the mindset, not as a consumer, hey, help me, give me something so I can take it and make it through my week. Yeah, God does that, but he doesn't just do it through the priest, the pastor, the person up front. You are all connected together. Everybody has a spiritual gift. And when you come with the right mindset, you come to the body stand. God, I wonder who you're going to help me minister to today. Who can I encourage, pray for, speak into? And then needs a shift in our mentality. And that's what the Bible says, that we all have different gifts of one spirit. The, the image that comes to my mind is a bit of that image of a of a uh, cord that has multiple plugs in it, a power strip, we call them. It has multiple plugs in it. You know what I'm talking about here? Like a power strip? Okay, so a power strip has like five or six plugs. You plug the fan in. You plug the charger for your laptop. You plug the charger for your smartphone, you plug your TV in there, you plug the toaster in there. Those are all different, very different applications, but they are powered by the same source. You say, what's a toaster and a smartphone have in common? They are powered by the same electrical source. What do you and you have in common? If you're believers, you are empowered by the same spirit. Now, your gifts may be different. Your personalities may be different. But the same spirit empowers you. This is how it works. Listen. Someone walks in the door. The, the greeters greet them. Hi, how you doing? if they come from a church background good praise the lord they don't have a church background they may just good yeah fine and they sit down but but what we don't know is that 2 days ago they were sitting in the room alone contemplating suicide we don't know that tell anybody life is dark is it worth living let me go to church Don't share with anybody. But you know who does know? The Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's Wi-Fi. Except the Holy Spirit is God's Wi-Fi, who's omniscient, omnipresent, knowing all things. And so we don't know when that person walks in the door that two days ago they were attempting, thinking about committing suicide and they're in a very dark place. They haven't told anybody. They smile on the outside. But the Holy Spirit does know. And suddenly someone sits down, and a pew sits down by themselves, but God puts a burden in someone over here like, hey, I don't know, I have a burden to pray for someone right now. Really, there's a battle for their soul. They don't even know who they're praying for, but the Wi-Fi that's connected us through the Holy Spirit encourages us to intercede for someone. And someone else has that gift of mercy and realizes they pick up supernaturally that this person is in a bad place, and so they walk up to that person, and they say, are you okay? Yeah, I just you know, want to ask you, and they Age in that person, and someone else, you know, and, and so without knowing it, the Holy Spirit connected us together supernaturally through the body, uses people, people, to minister to people directly and effectively in supernatural, powerful ways, because we are the church. So, Number three, I gotta watch my time here. Number third principle, and lastly, it's the common good principle. All legitimate spiritual gifts appear for the building up and common good of people. And then verse 7, the Apostle Paul starts talking about this. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Manifestation is something that maybe was hidden, but now you can see it. The, so, people have interpreted this in a lot of different ways, but actually what, what it means is that the manifestation of the Spirit is your gift. If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, your gift is going to start to manifest, it's going to start to come out and so and he lists some of the some of the gifts notice that he says it's for the common good your gift is not for you it's for other people and to one there's given the spirit through the spirit a message of wisdom that's a spiritual gift To another, the the message of knowledge by the same spirit, that's a spiritual gift. To another, faith through the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing through the same spirit. To another, miraculous powers through the same spirit. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, still the interpretation of tongues. He's listing, that is not an exhaustive list but that is a partial gift of some of the gifts of the spirit that the apostle paul is listing and he says to each is given the manifestation and i wish i had time to break all those gifts down i don't but for the common good romans chapter 12 verse 6 says we have different gifts according to the grace given to us first peter chapter 4 verse 10 each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering god's grace In its various forms. Let me just clarify this about spiritual gifts. Sometimes you think that the more holy you are, the the better gift you'll get. It doesn't work that way. God gives the gifts according to his pleasure. Grace means you don't earn it, you don't apply it, you don't deserve it. It's not like, well, he must have been really holy, he got that gift. No, no, it doesn't work that way. God chooses to give a gift according to his good pleasure. You can't give yourself credit for your gift. All the credit goes to God. And I hope that you, if God is using you in whatever gift you have, I hope you point to him. And, and, And don't take any of it for yourself. It's important that your gifts, that whatever gift you have, because it will minister to people, encourage people, make sure you point to Jesus. Because it's really all about Him that's giving you the capacity to earn those to, to have those gifts. And he says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He has distributed them to each one just as He determines. So let me close with an exhortation, could I? A challenge. I just want you to know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, two challenges. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you have a gift. You have one. You say, well, I don't know what it is. You may not know what it is, but you have one. To not use your gift is to rob this body from something that it desperately needs. I'm not that active, I'm not, it doesn't matter. You have a responsibility to use your gift. And to not use your gift is to rob this body from something that it desperately needs, your gift. If you're here and you're not born again, then you need to be born again. Well, pastor, I was raised in the church, you know, I have affiliated, I'm not talking about affiliation, I'm not talking about membership, you can, be, you can be raised in a church and not have the Spirit of God. To attend a church doesn't make you a Christian. To have a Bible in your house doesn't make you a Christian. To have a cross hanging around your neck doesn't make you a Christian. To have a tattoo of Jesus on your back does not make you a Christian. I've had people try to tell me that. i got a big tattoo. Pastor, look. Okay, I'm glad. Doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus and Him alone and publicly acknowledge it, and it's usually followed by a step of baptism, telling the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you've never clearly made that decision or done that, then you need to, because you may be a church attender that's not really a believer empowered by the Spirit, and you're a cultural Christian, but not a true born-again believer. Just throwing that out there. If you're here and you're you're a believer and you've never gotten baptized, I heard the announcement before, you need to be baptized. You say, oh, Pastor, I don't think I'm I'm worthy of baptism. Hey, you're not worthy of salvation either. Baptism is not, I got to make my way clean enough to get baptized. Baptism, every believer that has given their life to Christ should be baptized. It's a sign that my old self is buried, I'm dead to my old self, I'm raised in God, but it's His resurrection power that has to change me. So if you've been waiting to get baptized and you're a believer, you should be baptized. It's like the guy that keeps postponing the marriage. Hey, babe. I'm waiting for the right time. Hey, we've been dating nine years. Yeah, baby, you know, I want a nice wedding. No, no, no. There comes a time when you just say, I'm gonna declare my love publicly and babe this, babe that, it's over. Are we in or are we out? I'm speaking to someone here. <laughs> Christianity's the same way. It's a bold proclamation, public. That's why we don't do baptisms privately. This is a public. Baptist. Glad it's in the lake, Lake Michigan. We don't do it at night. We don't do it privately. We don't I've asked, I've had people say, I want to get baptized, but I don't want to do it in front of people. No, I won't baptize you that way. Because and, and just like I don't want a clandestine wedding, like I want to get married. Don't tell anybody no, no, no. If, if you're going to get married, you better celebrate it, pronounce it, wear a ring, let people know you're married, not like I'm, I'm going to be married, but I'm not going to go public with it. Following Jesus, baptism is a public declaration of my desire to follow Jesus the Christ. I'm coming out to the world as a follower of Jesus. And so I want to challenge you if, you're, if you've decided to follow Jesus, but you haven't gotten baptized, then you need to talk to someone and say, I'm ready." To do that. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, would you? By the way, I want to say that if you didn't like the message today and you feel like, hey, I'm never coming back, give next week another chance. Bobby will be back. You'll probably like him a lot better than you like me, and uh, he's probably a lot nicer than I am, so give him another chance, and don't just write the church off because you heard me. Um. My challenge to you is this. Be the church. Play your part. I want to pray for you. If you feel comfortable doing this, would you raise your hands to God? Some of you allowed fear, insecurity, Doubt to keep you from using your gifts or contributing. You've allowed shame over your past. Guilt over not living to the standard that you feel you need to live. And you have subdued your gifts, and God is saying, it's time to use your gifts. So I pray, Holy Spirit, even now, that you would blow a wind upon the ambers of the spiritual gifts that exist here. I pray that this church, this body, with all our flaws, brokenness, dysfunction, relational conflicts when they arise, I pray, God, that we would become an unstoppable force of healing, restoration, reconciliation of new birth. I pray that this place, God, would spill out of the walls of this church, God, and touch family members and neighbors that would never go to church, but because we are operating in our gifts, God. I pray that people would be healed, restored, encouraged. I pray that people would be brought off the brink of of, of of the mental institutions and and suicidal places and and chaos in marriages because this church in love is utilizing our spiritual gifts to minister to people i pray that you activate those people that have been inactive, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would blow in us, God, blow through us, Father, in a new and powerful way for this next season. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ who died, who rose again, who's coming again, who is God Himself, our mediator. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right now we're going to take communion as we close this service together. Um, I'm
1: going to invite the ushers up to pass the elements. Uh, as they're doing so, you'll see there's a, a small tray in the middle uh, that is gluten free for anyone that needs that. So uh, you can just remain standing for a moment. And as the elements are being passed, um, I, I'm just reminded by this group of people, too, um, using their own spiritual gifts to help us participate in communion. This gift of hospitality, the gift um, of administration, the people that helped set this up yesterday that were here. Um, and uh, I pray for that self-reflection within your own uh, heart today as, as we take these elements together. Uh, if, As Mark pointed out, if you have not taken that step of, of faith, if you have not accepted the Lord into your heart, um, I, I think this is a perfect moment to, right there uh, in the pew, um, ask for forgiveness. Pray that confession that um, you need the Lordship of Jesus over your life. Um if you have taken that step, then um, I hope that this could be a moment just to, to reflect and be reminded of, uh, of that sacrifice and why we continue to come back to this sacred um, act and remembering uh, what Jesus has done for us. So um, just take a moment uh, in your own heart, just uh, have a moment of silence and then we'll partake in the elements together. for the way that you've um, gifted your body the church Lord the way that you've you've gifted everyone here within New Life Lincoln Park the way that you've gifted those uh, that call New Life across the Chicagoland their home church Lord as you've gifted those that um, have a church anywhere in Chicago Lord as you've gifted those that, that are part of the church across the country and across the world Lord um, all all through your power, all through your spirit. And so we're grateful for the part that we get to play here, Lord. Uh, may you continue to, to be our source um, that, that powers us uh, to, to live out the life that you're calling us into. And so, Lord, as we um, take a moment to uh, join in the act of communion, maybe we ever be grateful for, um, for that sacrifice for the way in which we get to partake. Amen. If you'll go ahead and join me in taking the elements. You can pass your cups in the middle. Our ushers will come through and collect those, and then if you'll continue to stay standing, we'll close with one more song of worship. of grace is Jesus my redeemer